You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com hey guys welcome to land and legacy podcast this is your host adam keith we're co-owners of a consulting company called go figure land and legacy this is your number one podcast resource for all things land each week we're breaking down topics from land management habitat management conservation farming practices and real estate we hope you guys enjoy it Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks for joining us once again. It's Adam here. Matt's here. And uh, I don't know if we'll make it a full hour this week. We've got a lot of stuff going on, and we're trying to knock these podcasts out as quickly as possible. Um, and, and, remain, we talked, and remain productive on all the other ends. That's right. All the other fires are burning. That's right. So we are going to discuss different things with fall food plots. Um, you know, last week we, we had a long discussion with Keith Hammer of Stratton Seed Company. If you want to hear about their blends, their prices, how we use them, go back to last week's podcast. But this week we're talking about uh, various things with food plots, and especially this fall food plot uh, since it is food plot season and we're seeing it all over social media. Guys are getting ready or the guys are in full swing. We're talking about design. At least least the guys down south are planning. Yeah, the guys down south. They're beginning to think. I saw where one guy said – you know, the guys in the northern states, they're planting. Guys in the southern states are like, man, we're still months out. That's driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. And then one guy in the northern state chimed back, and he said, well, that's how I feel during turkey season. When you guys yeah. are, are full swing, we haven't even got started yet. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, so we've got all that going on, and so it's a great time to discuss different things. So we've got food plot architecture, which is designed, layout, um, how to maximize them or techniques and layouts that we really like. And then you've got diversity um, within diversity, which you're going, that doesn't even make sense. That's like grass within grass or sky within sky. It doesn't make sense, but we're going to explain that. Uh, and then we're going to talk about different techniques, do's and don'ts. And so uh, we'll cover all those in uh, this week's Fall Food Plot Podcast. I'm excited for it because uh, here's here's the thing. I would say if you're a food plotter, like everybody does fall food plots. A lot of people now are getting and seeing the importance of doing spring food plots, really getting uh, aggressive with that. But everybody does fall food plots, and the techniques out there that can be used uh, with a lot of success, very wide-ranging. That's right. Seed sizes dictate a lot, conditions. Uh, so a lot of people just get really excited and want to actively try and grow a great fall crop. 
And you know one thing we haven't mentioned yet on this podcast was that we were on the Wired to Hunt podcast a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, of course, most of our listeners probably know of the Wired to Hunt podcast with Mark Kenya. Um, so if, you, if you're interested, go check out that podcast. And we talk a little bit about fall food plots or yeah. uh, more philosophy and beliefs on, on things. But Some technique. Yes, we are going to try to simplify um, exactly what we said and, and on that podcast for you guys to hear in case you didn't catch us over there. Um, but, yeah, so which one do you want to kick off with? You know, I think I think a lot of people let, – let's just go with, I guess, technique, and then we'll get into the finer tuning of the layout. Um, like, first, how do, we, how do we just get successful stands of food plots established for the fall? Yeah, and so there's, there's definitely – definitely different um budgets or equipment um lists and equipment on hand is another big thing access so ways to plant food plots for hopefully everyone out there so let's start with the guy who's on least crop ground or he's on at least ground with crops oh we discussed this last week but it's 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 an easy one And, and this is this is one of those things that you can't Everyone wants to complicate things, and we're probably got to get maybe a little bit complicated later in the, the podcast and really, you know, fine-tuning things. But if you're in crop ground, grab a bag seeder and walk through the crops and overseed or interseed a great cover crop blend of wheat, brassicas, turnips, rye, cere- I mean, uh, annual clovers, and you've got a food plot sitting right there underneath the the crop itself the cash crop and it doesn't interrupt or interfere with harvesting that crop and it's only going to help that farmer oh well, absolutely I, th- I think there's it's enough not anything that can cause you if you're leasing and let's say the crop farmer owns it it's not mm-hmm. anything get permission first but oh, explain 100%. the importance of it um and tell him what you're planting, but it's nothing that should cause you to lose that lease. And in fact, it's something that would hopefully let him see, wow, that really cut down on erosion, or if he's got a really high-tech system where he can see what parts of the field need fertilizer mm-hmm. and what don't, he hopefully will see, wow, that didn't require nearly as much fertilizer as the rest of the field. Yep. And that could be a way to maybe get the whole field put in cover crops eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the Graduate question up. people will be asking, though, is how do you get good germination? Well, keep in mind, you if you go take oats or wheat or cereal rye and you spill them in the back of your truck, it grows. It will. They are really, really hardy seed, and as long as birds don't eat them, you're set. Now, here's the question. Some of you guys are like, well, the beans are completely shaded out the ground. Okay, but if they're a determinate bean that is eventually going to mature and start losing leaves earlier than your indeterminate forage-type beans that, that we plant, um, you're going to see sometime late summer, early fall, they're going to start turning leaves. You can broadcast that seed even before even before the leaves have really started turning, and with some rain, it's going to get so- seed-to-soil contact, and it's going to start germinating and growing about that time that the leaves start turning yellow and and falling. There's a there's that magical window with with basically the the cash crop that they they need those leaves to fall off and that bean to mature and dry out before harvesting. So they they can't wait nearly as long as most food plot fo- food plot crops of soybeans go. So <coughs> this is the perfect window for you to go in and seed as it's maturing out and ye- leaves are yellowing. 
you can get incredible stands. That's right. We did it last year, um, oh, gosh, with the Legacy Blend and had just incredible success. It, yeah. It's it's super easy. It's kind of like you, you kick yourself. Why why wouldn't you do that? You could do it in soybeans. You can do it among corn rows. Just skip every third, fourth corn row, whatever your width of spreading is, and walk. You know, everyone knows across the farm where the hot areas are, where most deer want to um, funnel through or come out into the field. If you can access that, or let's say if you can't access that area, but they typically do that, maybe you can, you know, pick it, pick a one acre area further away where you can access, and there'll be enough draw once those crops are harvested to pull them into the area that you can access. You know, one quick thing to note on that cover crop is tillage radishes those gopher radishes a lot of times they can't be used in those in those areas with drain tiles and so if you are in a situation where uh you're you may deal with that keep that in mind as well um what else uh one one quick thing to note if you're in northern states or you're even in a in the midwest and you have places where uh, the corn is really, really thick, or the soybeans are really thick, um, or you're fallen, you, you're an absentee non-resident um, owner, and you can't get to the farm in time, and you think, well, I missed my window. Cereal rye, once again, germinates a lot colder than some of your other species, so don't be afraid to intercede cereal rye later in the fall um, and still get some great germination. I think a lot of times we get very hung up on traditional planting windows or you see everyone you know oh i'm out planting oh i need to be too not necessarily these crops and these plants especially if you're doing diversity um there's a large window in which you can plant and still be successful that's right so if you're seeing everyone else go out there may not exactly be the right time or it may mean you still have more time than what you think so research reach out to us let us know but um you can plant into late September and October and still have greens to build hunt over in the most right. areas. And you could do the same thing in some uh, in some of your pastures uh, for you guys that maybe uh, were in cattle ground. Cattle ground um, that may you know help you build that relationship with the farmers. Like they they uh, they're dealing with drought and they overgraze their pasture, and you're like. Ah, don't know really i'd like to have a food plot maybe there's a chance to get some uh some cover crops on those pastures and have great great things for deer temporarily until the the cattle farmer can then move his cows back onto that pasture so absolutely um so that's for you lease guys all right what else can you do as far as uh for for a guy who's who's renting or for owning ground Anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was. Uh, we're going. We're trying to list out things that for guys that you can do, and and uh, for the lease guys, that's that's a great thing to do um, with the crop ground or the or the cattle ground. If you're just leasing, those are great ways to have success. Um, for for you guys that are hunters or, or own the land, and you're and you're trying to think of ways to improve. We've said this so much, but I feel like it's so important to keep keep emphasizing it because. I can't tell you how many questions, emails, messages we've been getting both on our Land and Legacy but also our private channels, people asking us what to plant. And and it comes down to a lot of times you list out um, things that, that are problematic. Maybe it's in poor soil or it's wet soil or it's 
it's a small food plot or it's in shade. What can you do to ensure? And it comes really down to one thing. Try to get as much diversity in there as possible because that's only going to help. If you do monocultures and that species isn't adapted or is doesn't have the ability to grow well in that system, then the whole thing's a failure. But if you do diversity and you have a list of species that could probably do pretty well and then other species that will do pretty well, they can work together and be successful. So no don't doubt. overlook the power of diversity. And, you know, going, going real quick back to that leased land situation is a lot of people, you know, they're in timber ground or timber country, and a lot of their leased land tends to be timber land, and they can't go in and clear. The openings are very small, maybe compacted soil um, from logging decks way back when. But if you are dealing with those situations where you have logging roads in the areas that, you know, deer are typically crossing, slow them down a little bit throw some clover, um, something that is a little shade tolerant right there in those areas to slow them down as they're crossing back and forth. Um, deer can cross a logging road really quickly, especially during the rut. I want to note slow something. Slow them down a touch. Um, Matt and I are traveling down the road, and we're in kind of a, a, an area we haven't seen in a while, um, or Matt's probably never seen. And so we're both looking out the windows, talking to each other with almost shoulders or backs to each other. And we yep. got a little bit distracted because I was trying to pass you a cur or pass the ball off to you because oh. I didn't know what direction we were going back there. And I'm when sitting out the said, window on the when we said you said east. anything you want, and I'm like, <laughs> well, that's not very good. We're going to have to keep this ball rolling. What I, what we're talking about is techniques. So lease guys, that's how you can get food plots for you guys that own the property. There's a multitude of things you can do. Let's talk about ideal, perfect scenario. You have a no-till drill. Yeah. That that is the ideal machine that we like to use for planting our food plots. And so having a no-till drill and just terminating whatever is in that field. And it may not even be if it's already a pre-existing spring food plot, you may not even have to um have to terminate. Let's no. say you've got soybeans growing. You may not have to terminate those or you have the heritage blend growing. And you're like, you know, I just want to see what will happen. You don't have to terminate the whole field. Just slow the tractor down. Make sure you're getting off and checking that drill depth so you have seed going into the soil or at least close. Sometimes yep. if you have really thick vegetation, those cutters will just try to go along the top and you'll be putting seed on crunched up soybeans and not actually touching the soil. So make sure that you're slowing down and you're using your no-till drill to get seed in the ground. Now, most importantly, as we talked about this over and over and over, when you're no-tilling diverse blends, especially fall blends that may contain very small seed, like uh, your clovers or your brassicas, or your, and then you're going up to big seeds like Austrian winter peas, you're going, well, each one of them requires different soil depths. You're better off to plant at a half inch at the deepest I, I, I wouldn't to a go, quarter inch is yeah. what I would like. And Absolutely. that way it's just barely in the soil but enough that all species will germinate. And that is the ideal situation. And so you're using a no-till drill. That's ideal. What other ways can a guy plant food plots 
Matt. Well, here's one of the situations that a lot of people find themselves in. Again, we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast is, hey, I just plant fall food plots. So in a lot of these openings that you're planting, there's a, a an amount of annual weed base that grows up through the rest of the very earlier portion of the growing season. So you can go in there and a lot of guys are, are – are Honestly, just bringing in a mower and mowing and then broadcast a seed and then dragging chain over top of it. Disturbing, I mean, the very most minuscule portion of the soil and just selecting the very small seeds and doing it right before rain with success. I think that there are better ways to go about that. Um, Instead of mowing and really scattering and clumping up a lot of that vegetation, you can use a sprayer and spray it and simply lay it over where it where it is growing at. And so you have an even distribution of a thatch layer across the ground. And you're not having these clumpy, odd areas that don't grow seed well um, or areas that are bare and don't protect the seed. And you can go back in, since you have an even thatch layer, and spread the seed and know that's even across the board. And it's a broadcast situation. And that's still a no-till situation as well. I think that's one of the biggest things that's kind of come on board is, hey, I want to be conscious of the soil and not disturb it. And so know that broadcasting is a no-till technique. It's it it is very, very like we how many times have we just broadcasted seed during the fall and you wouldn't know that it was a broadcast situation. It's just make sure you take your time. You know, be conscious of where you're walking, the width that you're spreading, and take your time and go. You can have very even distribution of that seed across the food plot and incredible stands if you're doing it and being conscious of the amount of thatch layer that you have as well as, right, an adequate soil moisture. For sure. And so let's, I, you kind of touched on it, and, and let's go specifically into the techniques of the method that we developed or tried to test, or t- I guess not tried, we tested years ago and have kind of fine-tuned and started using this more in our fall food plot plantings than our spring food plot plantings. Yep. You can do it in the spring, but it's way more weather-dependent than fall food plot plantings. And that comes down to if you are trying to, it's preferred, I prefer this if you're going into a already established diverse spring planting, um, and not yep. something thick like like a turf grass, like tall fescue or smooth brome. You can still do it, but you probably want to give a little bit more days in that termination. Of Let it really dry out. Where it really dries out. That way that seed can really get down through it. Because, I mean, it's a turf grass. It's thick. Very thick. So you want to spray with yep. glyphosate. And you want to do like two quarts per acre. Spray it. If it's, if it's an annual mix, diverse spring mix... Spray it, and you can do this the same day. Spray it. Just so we're – I'm yep. going to pause there so everybody understands. So, soaks that, soak first, that first step, spray the area. Second step, it could be two hours later. It could be 30 minutes later. It could be a day or so later. Now, it's important you kind of want to hug close to that line of spraying. That way it, that material doesn't break down and decay before your seed really gets going. It, it serves as a moisture barrier and also serves as a protector to keep it away from a species of bird that's migrating through that everybody loves to shoot, yes. and that's uh, morning, morning doves. doves. And so make sure that you're spraying it 
And then you broadcast. Coming coming very quickly back to a broadcast situation. And then you drag it or you roll it or you cultipack it and you lay that over. Yes. And on top of the seat that was broadcast. I think that's, that's right. That's like that misstep that everyone's like, wait, how do I wait a second? How does that look? You are broadcasting into the standing vegetation. Letting that seed get all the way down to the ground, and that vegetation then comes and falls and lays over top of that seed. That is the key to great, great success. And here's here's the other thing. People are like, does that really work? And I think if if everyone knows it by now, you realize that we look at nature for understanding processes and and understanding if okay if things work. Um, think of think about. What happens every single September across the entire country? Acorns are produced and they drop, right? Yep. The fruit, the seed is dropped. You're dropping the seed uh, and then the leaf material from the tree falls on top of that after a certain period of time. You know, let's say late October, but it goes to protect the seed over winter and then it grows the next spring, sprouts, whatever. So... It's the same situation with this seed is we're laying it over. I mean, we're broadcasting, and then we're laying it over and protecting that seed. And acorns, they never produce as many viable sprouts as that were dropped. There's always a, a, a difference in, you know, let's say you've got a tree that's producing 500 acorns. Not every five every single one is going to drop and re-sprout that next year. They're going to be consumed, whatever. So in a broadcast situation, we're typically bumping up a seeding rate. Yes, twenty-ish percent. Well, not even just trees, but you look at grasses like that. When, let's just make the comparison. Looking at nature, there's nothing that's tillage. There's no tillage and naturally occurring. Right. Um, and so seeds, you don't have to get it to where it's perfectly one inch deep. It just comes down to making sure you have a, an adequate amount of seed on the ground and getting that whatever competition terminated. In this aspect, we're trying to terminate a, uh, a turf grass. Yeah. So let's walk through spraying, broadcasting, dragging, rolling, whatever. Driving that, over that, with your that, truck. That's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But now we're looking at turf grass. First time food plotter, or if this area hasn't been food plotted, things you can do to establish it. But using this technique would be spray, yep, and wait a few days and let that start showing signs of breaking down, and then broadcast. It could be a week later, and then you broadcast, and then you lay it over. But turf grasses, being the fact that they're turf grass and they're pretty. Pretty stout um, plant. They're very thick at the very if the, you the, sprayed the ground it, level. If you sprayed it and then broadcast it and laid it over, chances are it'd poof, pop right back up. Correct. But if you wait a few days or a week and you spray it and then you lay it o- or broadcast and then you lay it over, it's going to stay down and, and help protect that seed. So that's one way. Um, that's definitely a technique that we've liked. It's a lot faster. You could do it with. I mean, you really, you could do it, I guess, by hand. You spray it with a backpack sprayer, and you broadcast with a whirlwind spreader, and then you drag a tree branch or a cut-down tree over it. Um, or you we're, just we're getting real redneck, but hey, this I've stuff done works. It. I've I done mean, it. That's, you know, it, it's funny. It's like, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time on, you know, the process and the step-by-step thing, but, you know, 
that's the questions that we get asked. So we want to make sure that's very clear on ways that we've done this successfully and then by the methods that we've used or, or the tools, if you will, or lack thereof tools that we've used, but still gotten very respectable um, growth out of these food plot species during this time of year by doing these techniques. It's funny and it sounds crazy in redneck, but there's a lot of crazy rednecks out there who love plant and fall food plots. So this is the way that you can do it on a very tight budget. That's right. That's right. There's no shame in it. No. And so hopefully that covers, I can't think of any other technique that we really prefer or promote. Um, man, I tell you, I could tell you a quick story. Going through the Midwest, we're in crop country. And uh, today, Matt, before we teamed up, I uh, yep. was driving along and here's this agriculture farmer. And this All part right. of the world has been pretty dry. Mm-hmm. Driving along. And this man's got like a twenty-foot disc. You, it didn't. It and, didn't even taste right coming out thing, of your mouth, did it? Yeah, it was like kind of stuttered just a touch. I could disc the field. You yeah. should have seen the, the cloud, cloud. hundred foot behind him of just. Well, when I was coming dust. up the highway, I thought I could see. No, I'm kidding. Oh my goodness! I, I believe it. I'm just I like, man, it. please, please, yeah. please. And so, and if you find yourself in a situation this fall where you're like, I'm tilling the soil to get good seed-to-soil contact. And you're like, I'm tilling, and now I'm just begging for rain. Think about that for a second. I'm going to say this. If you find yourself feeling like you don't have enough time to put in your fall food plots because you have more than two implements you're hooking up to your tractor or dragging behind a piece of equipment, there's easier ways to do it. And you're probably doing more harm long term than you are in the short term and getting it done quicker by not using this method. It is very, very easy. And just, like, I'm not going to say if Grandpa did it, he did it wrong. But a lot of times, that's the case. It's like, if you haven't changed your planting technique in 20 years, it's probably time. Things have changed. Unless you're you're doing no-till drilling. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're doing that. I shouldn't say things have changed information out there has changed and there's a lot more simpler ways to do it understanding Ooh. the whole system has changed yeah education knowledge ha- has changed and we we don't have to use the same techniques that were once thought that's the only way to do it that's right so definitely we we've covered leasing and planting food plots <laughs> We've yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Inside joke. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've covered. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I can't, I can't even. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Sorry, guys. This, this is a bad this, joke. Yeah. But one of us broke wind and the other one's having a hard whoa, time whoa, to read. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> I'm sitting over here like, gosh, I hope he's not asking me to talk because I can't talk right now. <laughs> I'm breathing out my mouth. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, we uh, oh lord, we've covered leasing, and we've covered ownership. The ideal situation is no-till drilling, but we understand you may not have a no-till drill, so you're you're using other ways. This is other ways of the broad spraying, broadcasting, and rolling or dragging. That's a, a, an awesome way. We have to break this mindset that we that we need to see perfect twelve-inch tall greens all the way across the food plot to make it successful. There's ways to have successful food plots 
that don't look like the English lawn or the very manicured uh, food plot. That, I'll, that, I'll that's what this. we're trying to avoid. What's the goal of the food plot? Is it to attract deer and game species to the area? If you're seeing that on by hunting observations or on your trail camera, who cares what it looks like? If they're eating it, well, job well done, success. My hat is is tipped to you because you think about the revival blend in the food plot um, that we just mowed, and it's like that thing probably looked shaggy in trail camera pictures. It probably looked like wow, they, they probably could have mowed that thing about two months ago. Well, gum, it didn't matter. It was still producing great forage. It was still attracting tons of deer and turkeys, and turkeys with poles. and bears and bears yeah. to the stinking food plot. Like it, it, it doesn't matter what we think it looks like or that it has to resemble a a bag or a picture on a bag. It's like, come on, does does the burger that you get at McDonald's ever look like the menu? No, it never does. But someone's out there going to say, well, it tastes good. So there you go. Food very plots. F- very few people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> food plots are the, the same situation. It's it's the functionality of them that we need to be concerned with. That's right. And not just functionality to where they function well for the deer, but where they function well for the soil, for the mm-hmm. whole ecosystem, for the insects, um, for the birds. And the more diverse, the better. When you look at a uh, we're going down the road and you see an, an area that's a uh, most likely a CRP or a uh, a native prairie restoration, how many of those plants, how many different species do you see? And it's numerous. And how many of them are the exact same height or the exact same structure? None of them. None. Uh, you, Not a one. Even even as far as big blue stem, it's changed in different variations to where it, some of it's shorter than. And uh, some of it's only three foot tall, and some of it's six foot tall. Yep. It's not the same. Um, and so why do we need something that's the exact same across the whole acre for a food plot? We don't. We just have to break our mindset. Um, that's what this whole podcast is. That's what the, that's what our mission is, I think, if you kind of bottle, bottle it up in a podcast situation, is we got to change some mindsets yeah. of, of what is successful. Break some molds. Not wind. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we talked about planting techniques. Let's talk about some of our favorite designs. Yeah. Um, we get asked, this is a question and a layout. Like, it's all it all varies. You know, you can't have, at one point, turkey foot food plots were the best. They were the thing. Or wagon, wagon wheels, wheels were the thing. Yeah. Uh, it really, there's each spot requires a different layout. But some of our favorite is having the ability to break up two different attractions into one area. It could be a hourglass shape, or it could be a uh, dumbbell shape. It could be there's all kinds of different things. Where there's a lobe and the, two lobes and a pinch in between where you can shoot right. the pinch. Yeah, and maybe have diverse forages on either side. Yep, that's th- there's many different ways, and that's something we love is that type of. That's to me. If you're going to say what's the perfect shape of a food plot, I don't know if I could answer that for you effectively. But I will tell you, one of my favorites is that where there's two circles or semicircles, and then there's a a little like 30 yard gap in between to where they walk up the road, and uh, it's the path of least resistance. There's a lot of shrubs in between off the edge, so it's like a a two bush hog or two 
a 10-foot or 20-foot wide strip that connects the two that the deer try to walk through. See, that's that's ideal if you have that component. Well, what, what happens if you have the a square food plot? You're like, oh, I like to create a pinch in here. Do that with the forages that you plant. That's why you can have diversity in your spring mixes and leave some of it standing versus coming back in and planting portions of it and creating that bottleneck in the very center that you're looking for in a square food plot, doing that in your fall food plots, and you're off to the races. You, you've created that pinch by the way you are planting what you're choosing to lay, let you know stay standing. Um, you can do that within any shape food plot, really. It doesn't have to be the, a hard-nosed you know, line or edge feathered around there. You can do that in various shapes. So... And there's all kinds of different things you could plant. You could plant the whole thing in a in a mix like heritage blend, and then go in in the sp- in the fall right now and broadcast and lay over pockets and do a line a trail right in the middle of it to where you have tall eight foot tall heritage blend, and then you have green patches on both sides of your stand with a little two two cultipack or a ten foot wide pass connecting the two. That's a great way to add diversity within your food plot. You must have just been listening to it. I was. And so, <laughs> um, actually, I was staring out the window, so I wasn't really hearing what you were saying. Well, um, it had something to do with that. Something to do with that. Something. Another thing you could do is add diverse native perennial species, oh, yeah. gr- native grasses, native forbs, on parts of it, and then have your other areas that shrink down that opening to where you still have summer forage with the forbs, you and you have great cover. Mm-hmm. But now you have something that you don't have to plant every single year, but you've brought that out into, um, and you've shrunk down that full food plot. So that could be something this time of year that you need to prepare for. So when you're sitting in your stand this fall, you're looking at it going, how can I bottleneck deer in this two-acre opening? Oh, yeah. And, that again, that's the thing of break it up, pinch it down, use forages for your benefit. And those forages are going to um, – provide other things for your wildlife in that area from a cover standpoint from a security standpoint you kind of pinch them in a little bit two acres is is a big it's a big opening for deer to they have to feel very comfortable for them to come out um during daylight hours or, or spend a lot of time during daylight hours out in that food plot so if you provide great cover along the edges beef it up a little bit they might encourage them out a little bit uh earlier Yes, for sure. Uh, planting shrubs would be another thing you could do this fall. But we're talking food plots, so let's yep. talk food plots. Turkey foot, all that stuff is really basically. If if a lot of you are like me, you really kind of are dealt the cards. the 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 cards you're dealt are the cards you're dealt. It's not really you can get into real technical design. It may be a little long, narrow food plot, or a long, or a big, wide food plot um it really just you plant openings if you're in timber country in timber country you just plant what you have and so how can you create diversity within those areas that's where you could do something like um, perennial clovers chicories alfalfa mixed in one area and then on the other side you do fall annuals Mm -hmm. that's where you get into stuff like the bounty hunter and legacy blend um and basically you have that line in between the two Create something right there. Put a mock scrape up um, that could help you create a stop 
in between the two. Deer are browsers. They don't eat the same thing over and over and over again. They, they have a, a diverse diet. And so if you can have something that's high... Uh, that's highly diverse on one side and something on the other, there's a good chance they're going to walk between the two and select different species out of each side. So that is one great thing you can do this fall. If you have two acres that's all the same and it's always been like that, look at adding a small quarter acre of that into a perennial clover plot um, closer to your stand. So you'd have that change to where they may come out and eat annuals, but you've got something over here they're used to or that can take the browse, and especially early in the season. If, you're, if your fall food plot has not established quite yet uh, to, a, to, a, to a height or a maturity where deer are really selecting it, but you have that perennial clover that's right under your stand, there's a good chance that's what they're going to come to eventually during your set, so during your hunt. So definitely consider adding diversity within your Diverse food plots, if that makes sense. That's what I was talking earlier about, right, diversity right. within diversity. You know, th- there's there's no shortage of ways that you can look at, at, at food plots. And if you're going to be dividing that that line of diverse forages here, then more diversity over here, if you're doing that, make sure that hard line between the two is within shooting distance. There's something about edges, differences between forages or cover types or habitat Deer walk it. Deer that's love right. to walk that division line. Make sure that's within range, and um, you know you're going to see that success. Break things up. Um, it's we covered it last last week a little bit. It's not too late. It's not too late to do edge feathering. Um, those are those are other ways you can get out there still and and accomplish this. But when we're looking at food plots, what is what is like everyone's dream? When it comes to food plots, I, I feel like it's been broadcasted over hunting shows over so many years. It's like it's like the ideal situation of someone um, who's going to hunt a white-tailed deer in December, January. What I li- would you say? I like small, much small food plots better than big giant fields. Big giant fields are awesome. You can see a lot of deer. They feed a lot of deer, but at the same time, they can be difficult to hunt. But I'll, so I'm going to answer that in two different ways. Go ahead. If I've got small areas, I'm the perfect scenario for me is an area that's got, and it doesn't involve food plots, but it's got multiple steps in its going from mature trees to a more shrubby component to a grassy component down to a food plot. And if in, within that food plot I've got perennial clovers or perennial plots, with annuals, that's that's the ideal situation for me. Right. Um, if you're asking me my ideal shape, what are you asking me? I'm asking forages total. You know. Oh. Uh, what I was going for is some. I know someone is going to say, and they're thinking right now. Come on, say it. Come on, say it. We're saying standing grain and greens underneath. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yes. I planted something. Um, you know, we don't plant a lot unless we're trying to control noxious weeds, a lot of soybean monocultures, and we right. don't plant a lot of corn because black bears are such an issue where we're at. No, they're not really an issue. They're just abundant, and they'll eat the corn. Sure. Um, raccoons Same are very thing. abundant. Same thing. We don't plant straight corn. Uh, we did put the uh, Stratton, um, man, I, I just had a major brain fart, um, 
Bonafide yeah. out, which is a mix of soybeans and corn, but we had to plant it late because of flooding. Creek crossing issues. Um, <laughs> yes, and so that should make it. Um, and so we're going to have standing corn, standing soybeans, and greens underneath. It's gonna be crazy. That's going to be awesome. There, there, but it's also a- got heritage on the whole quarter side next to the creek. So we have a screen, but we had summer forage. Um, and we've got diversity for birds and other species. And, and, and so we're going to have absolutely everything that we're talking about right here. And, and this is two and a half acres or so. We've got the ability for forage that's going to be less standing tall to shape the food plot, crunch it in, screen the food plot, and then all the diversity of the soybeans, the corn, and then the fall blend that's going to go in over top of all this. There's going to be every element of shape and diversity within forages in this in these acres so truthfully we've got deer coming to it right now the, the picture posted today on our social media october 8th is is from that food plot you could see deer going to it right now and it's gonna time be time machine what what day is it it's august Did i say october you said october wow. i wish it was <laughs> august I don't. 8th. it's hot man <laughs> august 8th but there's deer in it right now, so it's providing attraction now and still will every single day all the way through next June when that is terminated, which That's is crazy right. to think about. There's Insane. always food. Always, always food. food. But, there's, but there's great design and there's great structure and, and allow them to be comfortable shielding from you know gravel roads off in the distance. Everything has been, has been shaped and, and formatted there in that area for better hunting and and lay of the land, understand the lay of the land and what's going to be best for the land. Yep. I'm so, excited for it. Oh, for sure. Now, let's go with the small food plot. How do you add all kinds of diversity within a food pl- a small food plot, half acre or less? Same thing. Do a quarter acre in the perennial, then a quarter acre in the fall annuals. Um, that's where, once again, diversity is key. I've got this question from multiple people saying, I've tried turnips but they usually have them over browsed by february and oh, i yeah. always say this diversity if um if you're looking for a place to go and get seed go to your local like if you're in northern states and you're like i'm trying to find seed i'm trying to find seed um <laughs> first i would i would encourage you to listen to last week's podcast because yeah. the pricing on the stratton bean or stratton seed is very i mean in comparison to what you might find on it a sporting goods store wall. Um, I would, uh, truthfully, I've I've looked around. It's going to be hard to find a price that that really, with that many species and certain species, it's going to be hard to find it. But if you can't get that available, go to your local co-op or whatever and try to get as many fall annuals as possible that maybe purple top turnips. The list goes on and on. We've listed them out. We don't need to do it again. But get as many as you can, add those to that area. Because they will hold browse pressure and tolerate browse pressure a lot better than a monoculture. I'll say this. With with an appropriate planted and germination success in diverse blends, I've never seen them go su- and get like super muddy, you know, nasty, mucky. No. I haven't seen deer over browse them even in high deer density areas like I have monocultures or two to three species blends. That's, I just, right. that's just not enough. Um, these high diverse blends are way, way, way better. That's right. One thing I will add, when we're talking about blends, make sure you try to get one with as m- six species or more uh, when it comes to the annuals. Yep. Um, 
perennials, it's not quite as try to get diversity as in legumes and broadleaves and then add some grasses to it like cereal rye or, or wheat or oats. Add those to it. But when it comes to, like, I've been seeing an increase of blends that include, like, buckwheat or some more. You're talking about fall-specific. Fall-specific blends that have warm season plants in them. Right. And, yes, they may be in there. They better not be in there in a high percentage. And when they are in there, think about them. They're very, very short. The window to get anything out of them is very short. I don't want to bank on that. I want something that's going to that's going to be there for a while. And so try to include more fall annuals rather than just something that's got a few fall annuals and then warm season annuals thrown in there well, as well. He, and, and here's the other purpose too, just what we went back and talked about with, with where we got the pictures from this morning. We've got buckwheat, a warm season planted right next to the cool seasons. Why, am, if I'm going to leave some stuff standing, of my warm season, why would why do I want a warm season back in with my cool season? You you know, it, it will have a benefit, but long term productivity of the food plot. What's the goals with what you're planning and what you're paying for? You want it to be designated for fall. Be the best it can be for fall and winter and early spring. Plant that and move on. You're, whatever you left standing from the springtime, hopefully it's diverse. It's going to have those species in there. That's right. From an attractive standpoint, still going to pull deer to those areas. That's why when you look at a food plot, it it doesn't have to look like the bag. It doesn't have to at all. Yeah. One thing I will add on the on the architecture, the side of it, if you can find, even if you take a square field, um, and you're like, how can I create a pinch point? That's where you could think about ways to pinch the deer or cause them to have to walk out and around you or create visual barriers to where if there's a deer on one side you can call facing the other way to where they believe a deer is on that side and they walk by you to go see who's over there oh we uh, split up a lot of fields on on management plans that's right i, I think of of perennial screens that we're putting in larger food plots and it's like this is going to serve a purpose that's right, and, and and then when you when you when you throw that blind or or that tree stand map um, overlay it, it's like aha, uh-huh, I get it. That makes That's sense right. now. So picture like a, a recurve bow or a long bow before you put the string on. It's straight. Once you put the string on, it kind of gets this bend. That's one thing you can do. So if you maybe it's just as simple as cutting two trees down and falling them into the into the uh, mm-hmm. into the food plot, and then letting that area grow up. Um, or planting switchgrass and then cutting a tree into it to where you get that barrier that they're not going to walk through, they can't see through it, but yet ideal situation, you plant other shrubs or something to where you could put a blind at the end of that to where they're bowing and walking around you to get to that other side or to at least look on that other side. That's just a a phenomenal way that uh, you could do that right now. Just drop some trees and create a... a, uh, Kind of a bottleneck, or it, not kind of, a bottleneck. Um, so a lot of things you can do, adding diversity and uh, and doing all that um, to, to increase your chances at successful food plots and successful hunting. Absolutely. And I know, shoot, we've been going on. It's a couple shorter podcasts this week. Matt, you got any final thoughts for this for this one? I'm just going to say whatever, whatever, you, whatever you're thinking of, you know, from a picture-perfect deal – Probably throw it out the window. That's and right. I don't, I don't mean throw it out the window from, oh, you're dead set wrong, 
but just think creatively. Think outside the box. You know, what, what we see all the time doesn't mean that that's the best. Even even if people are being successful, let's say, hunting these type of food plots that are just slicked off and super clean, this and that, that doesn't mean that it can't be better. And or it may it be successful be for the deer, but it's not going to be successful for the other native species. Exactly. And we so want to find that balance, and I think everyone does. I, th- I think I think that mentality is definitely switching and turning over, which is super encouraging to see. But uh, just consider that. All right. Well, I don't I don't have anything else to add, guys. I hope you're having a lot of fun. Enjoy the process of of uh, this time of the year. It's exciting. Um, other than it's back to school for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but it's an exciting time because deer season is coming. And uh, hopefully you guys are going to enjoy it and uh, enjoy the process of getting everything ready. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Go check out our YouTube channel because we have been dropping a lot of videos lately. And uh, you guys want to see updates on the farm, how we're preparing, it's there. For sure. Please, I encourage you, go subscribe. Go, go uh, watch them on our YouTube channel. Leave some comments. Let us know what you think. We're going to be pumping out a lot of videos from now on. So... Um, please go check them out and comment. Let us know any questions. Uh, we're going to start converting a lot of those videos into podcast material. So um, you're going to have to watch them to know what in the world we're talking about. Um, anyway, guys, appreciate it. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Yeah.